Hey, it's Mark. It's Pride Month, an annual month-long occasion where LGBTQIA plus members and allies celebrate and remember the history of the community, which has been marked by the long, steady struggle for progress. Of note, few issues in modern America are more polarizing and divisive than those surrounding the transgender community. Despite accounting for 1.6% of the U.S. population, the trans community has been the subject of countless restrictive legislative proposals across the nation, as well as several corporate boycott efforts, Target and Bud Light among them. Where the pharma and biotech industries fit into this contentious dynamic is worth examination. Healthcare is not an industry known for pushing a particularly progressive agenda on the whole, but does stay abreast of the changing tides in a diverse nation. Notably, in 2015, nearly 400 companies signed an amicus brief in support of marriage equality. Several prominent healthcare companies, Johnson & Johnson, GlaxoSmithKline, and Pfizer, were among the signatories. This is why, in light of the strenuous anti-LGBTQIA challenges in state houses nationwide, there's a clear burden on health and wellness companies to push back on behalf of LGBTQIA employees and patients. To that end, this week's guest is Jennifer Petter, the founder and chief innovation officer of Arrakis Therapeutics. Petter is also a trans woman, one of the few openly trans leaders in the pharma and biotech space. Petter weighed in with her thoughts regarding the ongoing debate around trans issues in America, where LGBTQIA progress stands, what the industry has done on that front, and where there's room for improvement. And with Can Lions Health and Pharma Awards announced earlier this week, we'll also have a dispatch from our man in Can, MMM's editor in chief, Larry Dobrell, who'll give us his impressions on the winners and all the latest gossip from the Palais. Lesha Bushak has the week off this week, so we're going to go straight into our social media segment. Jack, what do you got on tap for this week? So for this week, a supplement that has Jennifer Aniston as a spokesperson is going through a voluntary recall. Durek says it's about ducking time, and the summer body trend on TikTok has pros and cons to it. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing and media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. Hi there and welcome to the MMM podcast. My name is Jack O'Brien, the digital editor at MMM. I am pleased to be joined by a very special guest today, Jennifer Petter, founder and CIO of Arrakis Therapeutics. Jen, how are you doing today? Peachy. So I know the last time that we spoke, it was on it was actually during Pride Month last year, and we were talking at the time about the rollout of what we saw as a number of anti-trans legislation across the country and kind of talking about where the industry stands. I kind of wanted to to get a baseline for the conversation with your thoughts on, you know, the external pressures facing the trans community and we can get into maybe where pharma's role is involved in that. I'm curious what you think as one of the few openly trans leaders in the industry in terms of maybe how things have, I don't I want to say evolved, but how things have developed since maybe the last time that we we spoke. Okay, so um, clearly the sort of anti-trans crusade by uh, certain uh, members of the sort of right-wing uh, elements of the Republican Party uh, have been quite successful in uh, enacting uh, legislation that expresses their views on topics. Some of it's worrisome, some of it's ludicrous, I guess some of it's both. And, and of course, uh, the focus tends to be on the kids and the health care provided to kids. So things seem to be getting worse, not better. Um, although there was an interesting article in the New York Times today about 
how the red states seem to be getting redder and the blue states seem to be getting bluer. Um, and so for the states that are you know, more friendly to uh, the transgender community, um, th those states have actually gotten more receptive to, to our needs rather than less. So there's a, a substantial legislative polarization taking place. As far as the, the, the pharma and biotech response to this goes, um, you know, what I have seen is that there is that it's been pretty stalwart in support of LGBTQ more broadly and trans um, employees and, and, and other stakeholders uh, more specifically. I only see this in Massachusetts, which is among the bluer of blue states. I'm a little less clear on the impact of that pharma biotech stance in the red states that they occupy. Um, so that might be kind of interesting things to investigate, but I, 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 don't, I can't share much about that. I guess my, my final comment before seating the floor for a moment is that um, I've gotten very involved with Fenway Health, which is kind of at the nexus of all this. Fenway Health is a health clinic in the Boston area. It's been around for several decades. Uh, it helps to uh, its focus, although they will take anyone who walks through their door, the, the focus of their, their community is the LGBTQ community. Um, and so you, know, you have this, this very special clinic in a city that has become kind of an industry town for pharma and biotech, uh, and occasionally seeing patients that come from red states uh, who, need, who need some attention. Uh, so interesting things are developing here, and I hope, hope that the developments are positive. It's interesting to hear you talk about kind of the role of Fenway Health and obviously, you know, Boston's uh, role in the healthcare industry. You had mentioned last year when we had spoken that the the broader pharma and biotech industry isn't necessarily more progressive than, say, other sectors are, but it's not necessarily, you know, pulling back either. So it's interesting to hear you talk about them still being a stalwart of support, obviously in the face of anti-trans legislation. And I would say even some of these brand challenges too, we've seen what's happened with the likes of Bud Light and Target who have somehow have ended up into these uh, culture wars and they are taking backlash. I wonder if that factors in at all when it comes to a brand calculation for some of these companies. So um, I'm going to venture into areas where I, I just have the same observations everyone else does, but the, a couple of the companies you mentioned there are consumer product companies where there's a certain overlap between the identity of the product, the identity of the company, and the identity of the consumer. Uh, and if the consumer doesn't see themselves in the product, they will be disinclined to buy that product. And I think that's a particularly challenging, and that, that can cut both ways. Like if you have a, target, a, a product like Bud Light, which may trend uh, more towards um, some red state, you know, sort of a key part of their, uh, their, their demographic, whereas there are other products that will trend towards, say, the Northeast uh, and California maybe. Um, and, you know, the thing is you can't gerrymander the consumer market. You know, I mean, you just sort of have to take the numbers where they get. And each party in that market can get a little surprised now and then. I think that the um, pharma biotech, it's not really a consumer market for the most part. Even OTC, there's this sense of the thing is what it is, and you need this medicine. 
And particularly for, for prescribed drugs, there's the intermediary of the physician and the reimbursers and the hospitals and other institutions um, that there's less identity with those products. Uh, and so I think it gives the pharma biotech um, uh, institutions a, a freer hand to respond to the needs of their employees and other stakeholders and less of a need to appeal to the consumer. Um, I know, you know, there's direct direct to consumer advertising, which may be slowly changing that, but I don't know how to calculate that. I'm curious too, when you talk about the support that these organizations have for their workforce, I mean, it, it seems to kind of mirror what we've seen in the country over the past 20 to 25 years where there's been a greater uh, recognition of, of say the LGBTQIA members that are in these organizations and the challenges and the needs that they face with. From your own perspective, how have you seen that evolution take place in farmer, maybe at some of the companies you've worked at? So, um, you know, so let's be clear that um, in in most of those past years, I was very much not out. And so I was not sort of testing the waters there. Uh, and so, I've, so my, own, my own personal experience has all been inside of the company uh, that I uh, have right here, which is Arrakis Therapeutics. And that's been uniformly positive. Um, I do talk now more of a lot of acquaintances and friends in, in other companies, in, at least in the Boston area, some of them biotech, some of them pharma. And, you know, there's a range of responses. Sometimes the companies are very affirmational and um, are, are very sort of overtly supportive uh, and, and you sort of get the sense that they're, they're kind of with you. Others, it does seem occasionally to be a bit of... Um, I don't want to say virtue signaling, but, you know, doing what seems to be appropriate, but not really going the extra mile. Um, and so, you just, but those, that means that those companies are in a position where if you work with them, I think you can kind of get them to a better place. Um, what we're not seeing is a lot of just overt sort of opposition or you know, antipathy. Is that something that you ever think that maybe down the line we could progress to seeing companies do that? Or is that, you know, somehow endanger their bottom line? They say maybe that's a bridge too far for us. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to speculate that there may be a certain caution uh, in, in approaching this. And, um, you know, if you just look at the simple calculus, you have to ask, look, you know, what, what is our employee base? And as our employee base becomes more and more out, do we necessarily want to to alienate such a large segment of the of the population? Uh, just as an employee base. Um, in fact, oddly, I think this is part of what's going on at Disney is that, you know, the creative community, um, there's a lot of LGBTQ people and that perhaps even overly overrepresented there. And so I, I do think that there's an element of that that influences you know, how the company ultimately uh, reacts. And I, so I think that there's, you, I don't get the sense that they that the companies in this area want to 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 um, turn their backs on their own sort of employee base. How out there in front of the issue they're prepared to get, um, I think, really depends in some cases on the leadership at those companies. 
it's interesting to hear you bring up that point about the workforce. I know in some of the leaders that I've spoken with, they've kind of talked about, you know, what we've seen out of the great resignation and how employees are being more vocal in terms of what they expect from a company. And on that topic of LGBTQ rights and support, that's been front and center in a lot of these conversations, at least from leaders that I've spoken with over the past few months. Yeah, I, I think the notion that a company can you know, demand of you a certain closeted uniformity, like we don't want to hear about who you really are, just appear to be a thing of the past. I mean, let's hope it's permanently a thing of the past, but right now it's a thing of the past. And, and so um, you just can't expect to, to thrive uh, if you create an environment like that. I want to ask, and this might be a, a broad question, so I apologize in advance, but if there's any sort of message that you would send to maybe your peers or fellow leaders in the industry, given that this is this interview is running during Pride Month, and obviously there's a recognition of the LGBTQ community, but we're also at this very pivotal moment in time where so much progress has been made over the past you know, few decades and so much is still at stake in terms of you know, different segments of the community. You know, I think that for for smaller companies, it's a matter of leadership, um, just kind of asking, you know, the the employees, like, what do you think about this, and are we are we doing enough, and um, are are we sort of there for you? I think in a in a larger company, that 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 kind of interaction can be tough to to establish, but sometimes it's a matter of going to your ERGs. You know, if the CEO shows up in an ERG meeting, and says. I'm just trying to catch up here and make sure that we're not dropping the ball. I think that would be a very positive, very positive message. Um, and not not to, to make sure that it's understood that the ERG is not a SOP, right? That it's actually something that's a vehicle for producing some very positive change in the organization. Uh, so I think that would be helpful. And are there any examples on that end? I know that a lot of companies I've spoken with, you know, always herald their ERG. Is there anything at Arrakis that stands out to you in terms of maybe recommendations or actions they've put into place? Yeah, I mean, I we don't have an ERG as such. Uh, we do have a DEIB uh, committee, the uh, Diversity and uh, uh, Equity and Inclusion and Belonging is how we've uh, formulated that. And um, it's... Um, We've been getting going on that, and, and I think it's helping. It's a nice collection of people in there. We are both touching on things that are sometimes simply sort of, you know, some, some token issues, which nonetheless matter, but also some fundamental issues about how one of the business practices of the company uh, and, and, and sampling what we can do there as well. Um, so, uh, and Mike, Mike Gilman, our CEO, has been very supportive of that. So I, I I think we're just learning in this regard. I think that there are, in some cases, at larger companies, there are better and more formal systems in place. Um, and it's just important that that, that the leadership under, really embraces them and, and tries to bring them into the fold of how the company does what it does. And I imagine those can probably lead to some difficult conversations, admittedly, for some of these organizations that might have been set in their ways for, for years and years on end. Um, yeah, I mean, you when you start asking questions like, well, you know, this vendor that we all use is, is turns out to be problematic for some reason that we're very concerned about. Um, and yet the vendor is important to us. Like, how do we 
navigate that? You just ignore it. You know, do you cut off that vendor and, and until they've mended their ways, or you know, do you find some way to bring that vendor, you know, a few inches <laughs> further into the 21st century? You know, I, I, so you know, these are really material issues. Um, where on the one hand, the company, in order to exist, needs to carry out certain, you know, science, technology practices, uh, and yet. It, that company is also embedded in a community where, let's just say, it, the vendors and other relationships, it's a very heterogeneous environment. Um, and you have some, you know, you have some sway in terms of how, how that community operates. Uh, but you you just need to have that conversation, like how, how what are we going to do about this? And I, that's, that's an ex example of the conversation that we've begun to have. I'm sure there are other equally meaningful conversations like and like how do you recruit people and it's not enough just to say well these are the people that showed up at my door and that that constitutes my panel i think that's um that's a start it's not an end right I and mean, you have to go out there and and start banging on the pipes to make sure the pipeline is getting people to that you need to look at uh, to your door so um there's new ways of thinking about these problems that uh, can be challenging, but it's worth having those conversations. I think that, that will ultimately be how we get to move forward. Absolutely. And again, I really appreciate your time and being able to share these insights on the podcast. I guess if there's any sort of you know parting thoughts you have for our audience when they listen to this in a couple of weeks, I know if there's anything you wanted to share, anything that we've talked about. Yeah, you know, I... Um, I do I tend to come back to Fenway Health because those are like my peeps. And <laughs> and I um I really think they're 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 doing a you know a righteous job there. And in, in some ways you're you're helping yourself. In other words, there's the levels of, of, of involvement in places like um uh, Fenway Health, Boston Children's Hospital uh, comes to mind as well as the other institutions in the area that you know, this is where your employees go and their children uh, to, to, to deal with these, these issues, uh, along with all the other usual challenging issues. Um, and I think it's important to be seen helping, um, you know, not just helping the hospitals that, that, um, that are just plain prominent, but, that, but, but also the hospitals that, um, and clinics and, and other support groups um, that are getting it done for this part of your, your, your employment. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate your time and, and certainly being able to offer your insights and highlighting the great work that not only Arrakis does, but certainly Fenway Health, as you've mentioned multiple times in the interview. So, Jenna, again, appreciate making the time to speak with us and certainly wish you and your organization the best going forward. Thank you very much. It's been lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Update from Ken. As we teased in the opener, we have... Uh, the privilege of having uh, our man in can Larry Dobra, editor-in-chief, on the ground in, in France. And uh, he's going to tell us about, uh, you know, his impressions about the, the winners and then the latest gossip from the Palais, as it were. Uh, but Larry, just, uh, you know, to start off here, what's the scene like on the ground there? This is my first time here, so, you know, take everything with a big grain of salt. But it's, it's lively. Um, I'm told by people that sat out the pandemic years, um, what was what there was during the pandemic years anyway, that this is the first year of it being back to what it once was. 
So you, know, you walk around, um, there is no place here anywhere that there are not a lot of people, all of whom are wearing a badge around their neck. So it's, uh, it's a lot. It's in the best way, obviously, but it is definitely a lot. Yeah. But what's the, uh, uh, I was going to say, ask you what the turnout is like, but it sounds like it, you have a very full, um, you know, group there. Yeah. You know, um, the, the agencies are well represented. Um, a lot of the technologists are well represented. Um, some of the, I don't want to say buzz because, you know, buzz is so subjective, but, you know, I think people are more keen to engage with a Spotify or even a Yahoo than they are some of the more traditional consumer brands, which I find, which I found pretty interesting. What's the uh, most unusual thing that you've uh, seen there, you know, in terms of the, either the activations you've seen or, or any, any of the, any of the winners? Um, let's see. That's a good question. I don't, I don't know if this is unusual, but Stagwell's presence here, they have a, their theme, you know, everybody's booth looks the same. Everybody's activations are largely the same. Stagwell, however, has put together a booth with a pickleball court. Looks like there might be some beach volleyball in there somewhere. It's like all themed around sports. And it's, it's kind of awesome. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's 80 degrees and somewhat humid. So I'm not sure everybody's rushing to, you know, get a couple of hours in on the court. But in terms of creativity, hey, good on Stagwell. Great work. Yeah. Now, for, for those who haven't made it uh, to Cannes for the uh, International Festival of Creativity, which is preceded by the Health and Pharma Awards, can you kind of describe the scene there? You know, basically you have this uh, one or two kilometer, you know, uh, stretch uh, of the, the, the promenade there and just, just the, all these activations, right? Brand activations, CPG, healthcare. you know, what, what kind of give, give us some word pictures there. Oh man, you're going to fill the metric system on me, are you? <laughs> it is. It's it's a it's a very short stretch, you know, right in front of the right in front of the uh, right in front of the beach. Um, you know, there's the Palais, which is you know the official venue where a lot of the screenings and talks and everything else usually go on. Um, we have we're set up about maybe I'm thinking about maybe a hundred meters across the street. If I got a hundred meters correct, no, actually it's less, about fifty meters across the street. We're recording our podcast, doing our video. Um, it's nice to have a little bit of a hub to call your own. Um, along the beach, there are the cabanas. And, you know, that almost became an in-joke with the people at MM&M simply because we kept hearing about these cabanas. And they're lovely, and I'd certainly like to, you know, own some of that real estate. But in terms of providing anything that's useful to a working journalist, eh, maybe not that much. So, um, yeah, you know, every everything is branded. Um, it should be. It's Can Lions. I mean, you know, if you're not going to use brands here, we're also going to use them. But it's uh, it is a very involved environment. I think that's a good word to use. Yes, everything is branded. That's a very good, uh, you know, way to sum up. Uh, can uh, let's talk a little about the winners. Um, you know, we had reported on those uh, that were announced yesterday. Uh, the Pharma Lion Grand Prix was awarded to Dentsu Creative for scrolling therapy, which uh, you know was. Um, an app to help people with Parkinson's who obviously have trouble to help them uh, while they, while they scroll through social media. Uh, but what, was any, any of the work kind of stand out to you either on the pharma side or the health and wellness side? I, I think that Dentsu program, um, it's a, it's a wonderful program. It's worth something worth anybody who hears this should uh, check it out. Um, you know, from a perspective of, you know, who would win, who expected to win. I don't think anybody saw Dentsu coming. Um, you know, usually Area 23 and a lot of the other firms of that kind sweep up the uh, canned gold. In this instance, it was you know, Dentsu with a very unexpected and very humane, I think, 
program that was given the uh, judges big thumbs up. Um, looking at the short list, looking at some of the work I saw, it seems like it was a pretty good year for Publicis Health as well. Um, you know, every every holding company was well represented, but it seems like Publicis, for the first time in a good couple of years, really seemed to have a have a lot of momentum uh, behind them. Yeah, um, they, of course, won the Lions Health Grand Prix for Good uh, yeah. for work, working with Cancer Initiative, of course, uh, which was the um, campaign launched at the World Economic Forum, uh, which and it has kind of grew out of a personal effort by, by, by Publicist CEO Arthur Sadoon, uh, who was diagnosed with and treated for HPV cancer in early 2022. So you have that one. And then um, as Cans did a number of years ago, they kind of they separated out the health and wellness lions from the pharma lions, but even within the lions, the pharma lions itself, you have regulated work and non-regulated work. And so it's interesting that the the Grand Prix, uh, which we just talked about from Bensu, that, that uh, scrolling therapy uh, tool was entered into the non-regulated uh, patient engagement category. And anything kind of strike your fancy that was kind of more of this, the standard straight ahead branded regulated pharma work? I'll be honest, I don't think any of it was even acknowledged <laughs> for the most part. Um, and again, I'm not putting any words in any uh, jurors' mouths, but it seems that uh, there was a almost a conscious choice to move away from a lot of what we see on a regular basis. Um, there was nothing you know, considered for high up awards that, you know, frankly, fits the mold of traditional, quote unquote, traditional pharma. Um, that's I think that's good. I think uh, I think the judges are sending back the message of experiment, you know, be a little bit bold, be a little bit brave. Sure, yeah. Okay. All right. So what, what else you have on tap uh, for the week? I know that we've got you uh, busy with back-to-backs in the cabana that you mentioned, you know, kind of doing activations and, and, and mod- slipping into the moderator's chair. But uh, what, t- tell us what's on tap for the rest of the week. Well, honestly, uh, just a lot of conversations. Um, one, one of the things that has taken me a bit of back, and, you know, two of us were talking about this before we hit record, um, is that you don't stop talking. And, you know, I'm something of an extrovert in settings like this but at the same time you know you're you're talking with people when you're in the press center you're talking with people when you're in the elevator you're talking with people when you're supposed to be talking with people um after this i'll head out to one or two events and you know there'll be more of that and it's great because everybody here is obviously pretty smart and i think everyone kind of takes this in the spirit in which it's intended um you know nobody's saying that you know this is the be all or end all. It's a place where a lot of like-minded people come to see some of their own people and have fun and, you know, hopefully learn a little bit. So that's what it is to me. You know, the, the idea of it, I'll probably go about four straight days without, you know, shutting up for more than two minutes is, uh, is the jarring and the great part of this. <laughs> well, um, one last question, I'll let you go. Um, you know, seeing that conversation is so, so high on the list there, you know, that's why we people come to Ken. Um, what is there a sort of a theme that you're noticing on people's lips, uh, uh, you know, or something um, kind of a new trend emerging or or, uh, you know, what's what's kind of the hot topic uh, that you're hearing there? Well, you know, people just as it was when we were compiling our agency 100, you know, people were falling over themselves to talk about uh, AI without really knowing exactly what it comprises. Like, it's great that everybody can play with chat GPT to, you know, write an article to taunt their people in the, you know, fantasy football league or something. But for the most part, um, the conversations around AI are kind of the hardest ones to have simply because there's that undertone of, well, is this going to replace us? Um, to me, the big trend that has come out of some of those conversations is that, okay, let's not get existential about this. 
let's say that you know AI ultimately is going to help us do our jobs better. It's going to it's going to automate a lot of the tasks that we really don't like about what we do, and um, hopefully make some of the stuff that we do like even stronger. So to me, you know, I don't want to use the obvious answer because AI, 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 it's all over the place. But those have been, in my mind, the most interesting conversations I've had over the course of these last couple of days. Okay, super. Well, Larry, make sure you mix the appropriate level of uh, of spring water with those rosés you know, <laughs> so you can maintain hydration. Um, and we look forward to seeing you back in New York uh, next week. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on here, Mark. Social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, social media update. And this is the part of the broadcast. We welcome Jack O'Brien to tell us what's trending on healthcare social media. Hey, Jack. Hey there, Mark. So we have three stories this week, the first of which is that nearly 60,000 canisters of a supplement Jennifer Aniston promotes have been recalled due to potential contamination. Vital Proteins announced earlier this week that it's voluntarily recalling 24-ounce canisters of collagen peptides powder for fear that pieces of a broken plastic lid contaminated the product. Aniston is a spokesperson for the Chicago headquarter company, which said the affected canisters were distributed to Costco stores in 20 states and Puerto Rico and sold between April 17th and April 24th last month. The letter urges customers who bought the supplement in the relevant period to not consume it. Instead, return the purchase to Costco for a full refund. Now, it's interesting any time that we have celebrities who are throwing their names on things, and obviously that's how it gets into headlines like this. But it's been interesting over the past few weeks, Mark. I've had interviews with leaders for vitamin uh, and supplement companies, and they always talk about trust and quality being among the paramount concerns for them when it comes to attracting consumers. And I can only imagine that whenever you see recalls like this, the damage it has to a brand has to be just incalculable. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the one good thing uh, for Vital Proteins is the fact that it's a voluntary recall. And uh, assuming they're, you know, looking to get out ahead in front of this thing, um, that seems to be sort of the corporate playbook. And, and, you know, at least they would have that going for them. And they're not going to just kind of wait for, you know, the weight of public opinion to come down on them or, or worse, you know, lawmakers. Absolutely. No, voluntary recall definitely helps them in their favor. So in our second story, this is a situation fit for living in 2023. A longtime mobile phone glitch has sparked a campaign about condoms and intimacy featuring rubber ducks. Yes, really. This all started last week when Apple caught the general public's attention by announcing that it was going to fix the autocorrect feature that changes the F word to duck. Now one to miss out on a promotional opportunity, Durex says it's about ducking time. The sexual wellness brand, which is a subsidiary of British consumer goods company Reckitt, worked with creative agency MRMNY days after the tech giant's announcement to launch a real-time social commerce effort tied into ducking. Leaning into the all-too-common word switcheroo, the company has deployed shoppable posts across its Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok channels promoting ducky art, a cheeky nod to Durex condoms by way of rubber ducks. The direct-to-consumer play kicked off within the past week, and since it coincides with Pride Month, Durex has also featured Queer as Duck artwork. Armed with a hashtag about ducking time, Durex has even rolled out rubber duck-themed promo codes like Down to Duck for its customers. Now, this is one of those things that's incredibly unusual and was not something I was expecting to write about when the week kicked off, but this is just another example of a brand seeing an opportunity and in a very strange way saying, here's how we can market it. MRMNY's an executive had put out a statement basically saying this is what we saw and within hours of Apple making that announcement they were already you know going to social media trying to make the most off of this yeah um, 
<laughs> you know, it uh, anytime a, a condom brand can um, you know do something to, to capitalize on a meme, you got to hand it to the uh, the social media managers uh, over there. Uh, but it does seem like a nice, uh, good tie-in for them. And you know, kudos to them for uh, jumping on a trend um, that uh, doesn't seem to be all that controversial. Yeah, you talk about the memes. They brought that up in their statement where they basically said that you know the meme economy is alive and well, and you know. I'm sure Apple wasn't expecting this when they made that announcement, but again, good on them for seeing an opportunity to promote the business in any way they can. Yeah, I wonder why Apple all of a sudden decided to fix that uh, linguistic switcheroo, as you put it in your excellent story. I'm not sure, but I've had an iPhone since 2011, and I know that I am far from the only person that's been frustrated by that, that switcheroo. So I'm glad <laughs> that it's come to pass one way or another. Right. It's good to know that uh, our tech overlords will no longer be censoring uh, our texts. Yes. And for our final story, summer is right around the corner, and with it comes more trends on TikTok that encourage weight loss to achieve the vaunted summer body. The hashtag summer body hashtag on the platform has garnered nearly 2 billion views, with videos touting diets, workout plans, cleanses, progress pics, salad recipes, and pretty much anything else you could imagine that has to do with weight loss. Hashtag summer body videos often come complete with hashtags like fitness, weight loss, or six-pack abs. The trend's viral popularity has caused mostly young users to scramble to achieve their ideal summer body. However, the hashtag comes with pitfalls as it can trigger people who have eating disorders, encourage unhealthy weight loss habits, or fuel body dissatisfaction. In the light of the push and pull surrounding summer bodies, one nonprofit is stepping up its call for more body image protections online. A family advocacy group has recently called out the trend as extreme and dangerous, knowing that it could promote unhealthy calorie restriction and weight loss goals. The organization added that its research spent the organization added that its researchers spent hours on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram analyzing videos of the trend by using accounts that were registered as a 14-year-old girl. The plan was to see what the average team may be exposed to. The organization concluded that on all the platforms, there were videos hosted that showcased thin bodies, extreme calorie restriction, unhealthy weight loss goals, plastic surgery, as well as unproven cleanses and diet products. And I know that we've covered our fair share of kind of disastrous or you know, ill-fated TikTok trends. But this is one of those two where it's like, yeah, in theory, it's a good idea that we should all be looking to lose a few pounds. We all want to look our best. But especially for some of the younger people, you think about the teens that are on TikTok, it can be very discouraging and, you know, promote body dysmorphia and all sorts of stuff like that when they see images that aren't attainable or at least aren't easily attainable. Right. We, we've all, you know, seen, you know, our colleague Lesha Bushek's highlights of the most recent TikTok trends, as you said, you know, the beauty trends among them, um, many of which uh, are uh, specious to say the least. Um, and, you know, there was a, a, a campaign, I think it was earlier this year or late last year by uh, one of our the agencies in our ecosystem, I believe, kind of keying in on, on how um, you know, vulnerable uh, young teenagers, teenage girls in particular are to these body trends on social media and, you know, kind of looking into exactly, you know, what a hashtag like summer body can bring up and, and, and a lot of the uh, craziness and, and downright dangerous um, practices that are promoted there. Um, and so it hasn't uh, gone unnoticed here. And it's, uh, you know, this is yet another example um, of the danger that uh, it seems like society is really finally awakening, awakening to and kind of trying to do something about it. 
Yeah, and to that end, Lesha included in her story on the summer body trend that there are users who have pushed back on that and you know have promoted their own um, you know body positivity. People like uh, people like Lizzo, who is pretty prolific on TikTok, have participated in that. But there was one that really stuck out to me where there was somebody talking about their quote unquote summer body trend, and it was them you know eating ice cream or having a sandwich or something and basically kind of promoting the, you know, the regular way that all of us live. It doesn't have to be eating one almond and calling that your meal. You can live a full figured life and enjoy that and not feel bad because you don't look like a supermodel or you haven't lost, you know, 50 or 75 pounds. So there is that kind of push and pull. It'll be interesting to see how that develops, certainly as, you know, social platforms become a little more conscious, I would say, of what the effect is on their users. Absolutely. That's it for this week. The MMM podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Gordon Failer, Lesha Bushak, and Jack O'Brien. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. Rate, review, and follow every episode wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes out every week. And be sure to check out our website, mmm-online.com, for the top news stories in pharma marketing. 